Can you survive in a storm in the past, in the present, or in the future? Your parents are away for the weekend, leaving you home alone for the first time. You're so excited, you don't know what to do first. You decide to take the family boat out on Lake Champlain and visit nearby Providence Island with your friend, Tom. You're more than halfway there when a fierce storm suddenly kicks up. The boat is taking in water fast. Soon you can no longer make out the dock ahead of you or see the island shoreline. What will you do? If you decide to turn around and go back, turn to page 82. If you decide to try to make it to the island, turn to page 33. But be careful. You could find yourself stranded on the island in a strange time warp that might leave you trapped in the past or in the distant future. Or you could solve the mystery of the Indian burial grounds and enjoy the secrets of eternal life. What happens next in the story? It all depends on the choices you make. How does the story end? Only you can find out. And the best part is that you can keep reading and rereading until you've had not one, but many incredibly daring experiences. You're the star. 12 exciting endings. Choose Your Own Adventure 115, The Island of Time, by R.A. Montgomery, illustrated by Ron Wing. Incredibly Daring, a podcast where we read vintage choose-your-own-adventure books to each other and make generally poor decisions. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jason. I'm Connie. Apparently, Ari Montgomery had to one-up Edward Packard. Edward Packard had the cave of time. Ari's going for a whole fucking island. A whole fucking island. Your most favorite topic of these books. Yep. Thank goodness I got to read this one. (laughs) I will admit, though, when I was reading these... I mostly sought out the space ones and the time travel ones. Mm. That's mostly what I looked for. When I was a kid, sure. As an adult, like I don't have a huge problem with the time travel ones when it's set up that way. Right. It's just when it comes out of the blue and has nothing yeah. to do with the actual storyline. That's mm-hmm. even more annoying. That's yeah. yeah. And like I'm just sort of bored by the whole time travel thing now. Like it comes up so often in these books that it's mm-hmm. like yeah. Could we not do something else? Yeah. You had no other ideas? Yeah. Just jump time travel? All right. I mean, I'm not gonna, there's at least one book I can think of that I'm pretty sure is going to be a time travel book that I'm actually kind of looking forward to. But uh, it's more the subject matter than the actual time travel that I'm interested in. Uh, I guess we'll talk about that when we get to that book. That's still a ways off. But uh, I can just do without time travel for, for the most part. Well, let's see where we go. I'm going to guess it'll be the past or the future or the present. (laughs) On our island of time. Mm -hmm. Warning. Do not read this book straight through from beginning to end. These pages contain many different adventures that you may have while your parents are away. From time to time as you read along, you'll be asked to make a choice. Your choice may lead to success or disaster. The adventures you have are the result of your choices. You are responsible because you choose. After you make a decision, follow the instructions to find out what happens to you next. Think carefully before you act. Being left on your own can be fun, but it can also be dangerous. Even if you do decide to visit nearby Providence Island and Lake Champlain, you may not have the trip you planned. Good luck. You'd rather go to Lake Champagne, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm.
Well, our parents aren't there. We could. <laughs> True. Presuming that they left any in the house. Yes. Oh, they did. My parents are alcoholics. <laughs> yes, but are your parents alcoholics? That's what I meant. My actual parents, no. But, oh. but my parents in this book, in my brain. You've been given a lucky break. Once a year, you get a day off from school so your teachers can catch up on their administrative paperwork. Just once a year? The timing is perfect. The day falls on a Friday, and your parents are away on a business trip. They are architects, and they have a client in New Mexico who wants to build an environmentally sound solar house. Alcoholics. (laughs) In order to ensure this, they had to go and look at the site. Much to your delight, they have left you all alone for the first time. For a year and a half now, you have been trying to convince them that they could. Mom, I'm old enough now. Trust me. I can look after my sister. I'm reliable. Your sister hasn't even been mentioned up to this oh, point yeah, in time. Well, sister. Apparently we have a sister. Come on, Mom. I'm 18. Leave me alone. <laughs> Come on, Mom. I'm 40. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reliable was your standard speech. However, this time things were different. You didn't even have to ask. We're going out of town for a few days, your mom said. We'll be in New Mexico. And your father and I have decided... Before she could finish, you blurted out, Oh no, you're not going to have some drip move in here and take care of me and Peggy, are you? That's a fate worse than death. Are you listening, your mother asked. Sure, Mom, you were saying. Well, if you're not really interested, I can make other arrangements. What do you mean, you ask hesitantly, panic setting in slowly. Maybe we should have let you stay home alone since you weren't listening to me. Maybe we shouldn't let you stay home alone since our dialogue is so stilted and unnatural. <laughs> I don't want some drip hanging around here. <laughs> now you listen here, see? <laughs> your father and I have arranged for your sister to stay with Belinda Grist. Oh, wow. Your mother said, You know her, my old friend from Dayton, Ohio. Your spirits tumbled. Belinda Grist was far and away number one on your hate list. Number oh. one drip. You little Nazi. (laughs) And then she finished. You are to stay home. Alone. That is, if you want to. For a moment, you remained quiet as the full meaning of the announcement hit you. Then you were flooded with excitement. Trying to sound like an adult, you replied as calmly as possible. Well, given the circumstances, I'd only be too uh, happy to do this. You know, Mom, I love it. Great. Yeah. Your mother gave you a knowing look. For just a moment, you feared that the deal was off and that you would be condemned to spend the time with the dreaded Miss Belinda Grist. But you were wrong. Good, then it settled. Water the plants, feed the dog, and take messages. The answering machine is on the fritz again, your mother instructed. Oh, and don't forget to recycle bottles, cans, and papers. I'll leave the number where we'll be on the refrigerator. You can always get in touch with Belinda or Charlie Munson. Charlie Munson. Hmm. If you need to. But of course you won't, right? Right. That's funny. They like, we trust you alone with the house. We do not trust you with your sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is not staying there with you. The dog, sure. The sister, no. And our good friend, Charlie Munson. <laughs> that was two days ago. And what freedom it's been. You stayed up late to watch the David Letterman show. Hell yeah. Ooh. That's what I've been doing. You've eaten pizza every meal. You've forgotten to brush your teeth on purpose. 
And you even worn the same clothes two days in a row. Is it forgetting if you do it on purpose? <laughs> You're disgusting. You're a straight up adult. <laughs> you smell horrible. <laughs> this must be what it's like to be as rich as royalty, you think. You even have a loyal subject. Melvin, your dog, <laughs> who waits at your beck and call. Your poor, poor dog. Friday, your day off from school, has finally arrived. What should I do, you ask yourself? You don't like to sleep late, and hanging around in the house, which is pretty isolated, can be boring. I've got it, you announce to Melvin, who sits anxiously at your feet, waiting for a strip of bacon. Melvin will eat anything. Especially bacon, because he's a Cause, fucking dog. And it's fucking bacon. Did you run out of pizza? Why are you making bacon? He's your dependable garbage disposal and four-legged trash can. Bacon is not What a garbage. great way to think of your best friend. <laughs> bacon is not garbage, you whore. <laughs> we'll go to Providence Island. How about that? You say, giving him another strip and slapping him playfully on the snout. <laughs> okay. Boop. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't tell you not to touch the boat. Ooh. All right. Melvin gives you a kind and nervous yawn, cross between a question and a squashed yip. He likes the bacon, but you're not so sure about the announcement. At that moment, the telephone rings. You hate telephones. They always interrupt what you're doing. You're a millennial. <laughs> you're the weird Husper. kid. <laughs> you think about not answering it, but then you remember your mom's instructions. And yet, if you just let it ring, who will know? Unless it's your mom. If you decide to answer it, turn to page 86. If you decide to ignore the phone, turn to page 12. Swinging for the fences here, folks. <laughs> I want to answer it. I want to ignore the damn thing. You want to ignore it? Yeah, I hate telephones. Okay, we can ignore it. We okay. can let our millennial selves shine and yeah. ignore it. All right. Deciding to ignore the phone, you get lucky. Two more rings and the phone stops altogether. Oh, dodge a bullet. <laughs> Good, you think. I've got bigger and better things to do today. You live in northern Vermont. Oh, what if it was our friend from the back cover? Oh, poor Tom. Oh, well. we'll oh, I'm sure it. we'll meet up with him sooner or later. He just got back from his trip to Daredevil Park and he wants <laughs> to flaunt it in front of you. <laughs> yeah. You live in northern Vermont, not too far from Lake Champlain. Champlain is huge as far as lakes go. It's about 125 miles long, quite wide, and runs into Canada on its northern end. Hmm. So flee the country, kid. Plus, it's not a great <laughs> lake. That's interesting. Yeah. Right? It's, a, it's an average lake. <laughs> it's an average lake. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful, with the Green Mountains to the east and the Adirondack Mountains to the west. Adirondack, yes. They're rugged stone covered with pine, hemlock, and birch. About eight miles away, your family has a dock on the lake belonging to Providence Island. Your family has owned property on Providence Island for quite a few years. Little rich bastard. <laughs> the island is big, over 160 acres in size, and a mile and a half long. It's situated in the widest part of the lake. When you're out there, it almost feels like you're on a different planet. It's really special, really isolated. Never find a body there. Right. <laughs> Not creepy at all. Some people say that the past is alive there. The dock stretches out into the lake in a big L. It was built years ago and time has not been kind to it. Ice, water, and the pounding of waves have all gnawed away at it, leaving raw-looking concrete wounds in its foundation. Off to the side, there is a small boathouse. 
That's where the family boat is kept. A 13-foot inflatable Zodiac. Oh, I don't less of a boat and more of a raft. It's like a drug runner boat, isn't it? <laughs> like a Zodiac. Yeah. It's red, and if there is only one person on board, it can go really fast. Oh. They told you not, they didn't say anything not, not touching it. They didn't say anything about not running drugs. That's right. Your dad says it's one of the safest boats on the lake. You believe him. But in rough water, the waves come right over the bow, soaking you. That's part of the fun. Your boat can take anything the lake has to dish out. Sometimes, that can be plenty. The prevailing winds are the westerlies. The lake sits in between the two mountain ranges, and when the wind swoops down off the Andirondacks, zooming over the lake, it hits the greens in Vermont, where it shifts directions, and frequently roars back up the lake from the south. Okay, we're done waxing poetic about the size of the lake. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> nope. Waves can kick up. <laughs> Waves can kick up on Lake Champlain in a matter of minutes. Frequently, they build up to three, four, even five feet high, and the wind can easily hit up to 30 to 35 knots at a clip. Needless to say, you must be careful on the lake at all times. Over the years, your dad has taught you a lot about the lake. One thing is that if you're going out, it's always a good idea to bring someone else along. With this in mind, you call up your friend Tom, who lives down the road. You like him, but he's not much <laughs> of an adventurer. Still, having Tom along would probably be a good idea. Besides, he's good company. You dial Tom's number. The telephone rings several times. You're about to hang up when he finally answers. The lake? Today? Right now? I don't know, the weather looks iffy, he responds to your proposal to go out to the island. Don't worry, it'll be fine. Haven't you always wanted to investigate those Indian burial mounds on the north end? Now's the perfect time. There'll be nobody around to bother us. We can kill my dog and bury him there. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> you wait for his response. You are sure he will come. The prospect of digging around graves will get to him. <laughs> Does it say what? digging around graves? Yes. Oh. <laughs> you wait for his response. You are sure he will come. The prospect of digging around graves will get to him. So, morbid little so friend. So we are going to be. You are sure he will come. <laughs> yeah. Digging yeah. around graves. <laughs> <laughs> well... Okay, but we'll turn back if it gets stormy, right? Tom warns. Sure, 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 sure. Not a warning. No. It's a question. You bet, you reply, plunging your fist into the air victoriously. Aha, I talked my friend into something dangerous. Nope. So we're the Tom in this story. We are the Tom in this story. Yes. That's a reference to last episode. Yep. Daredevil Park. Go check it out, folks. An hour and a half later, you and Tom are at the dock. Thanks to your mountain bikes, you made it in record time, with Melvin running along beside you. He's not aware of his fate coming. <laughs> it is a bright, brisk morning in early October. The lake is so blue and the air is so clear, you can almost see forever. There is a light chop to the water. Nothing to worry about. The wind is out of the northwest at about 10 knots. Scanning the sky, you spot the usual buildup of cumulus clouds over the Adirondacks. You judge that they are not storm clouds, and proceed. What a day, huh? You say, 
unzipping your windbreaker. Yeah, sure is beautiful, Tom replies, unzipping his pants. <laughs> Together, you and Tom take the Zodiac out of the boathouse. It has silly-looking little wheels attached to the stern, but they make it easy to move the boat around. Okay, thank you for that detail. Thanks. Needed that, thanks. Carefully, you ease it down the ramp and into the lake. You like the way the Zodiac slaps the water as it goes in. There's <laughs> something about the boat that really pleases you. Maybe it's because Jacques Cousteau always uses Zodiacs. What the fuck is going on? Ari Montgomery heard a story about Zodiac boats and then decided to write an entire fucking yeah. book about it. <laughs> this is this is Ari Montgomery's life. He didn't hear about it. He owns one. Yeah. Right. And he's in love with the fucking thing. Right. And the lake. Yes. Tom stores the wheels in the boathouse as Melvin climbs on board. Apparently the wheels just come right off. Mm. Meanwhile, you hook up the gas tank and check to make sure everything is ship-shape. Oars, life preservers, fore and aft lines. The motor starts with just two poles. Gun to kill myself. (laughs) Gun to kill Tom. Gun to kill the dog. (laughs) You let it idle for a few minutes in neutral as Tom climbs aboard. Uh, the boat, not you. Yeah, that's for the middle of the lake. This boat's a rockin'. <laughs> We're probably in water. <laughs> With a nod to Tom, you put the motor in gear, lean the mixture, and cruise out of the harbor onto the open lake. Providence Island lies in the distance. The first set of waves rolls the rubber boat a bit to port, but it bobs over the waves like a cork. The bow picks up sprays and sloshes Tom, who sits on the starboard side. He pulls his baseball cap down tightly over his brown hair and girds himself again for the next wave. He doesn't have to wait long. Two big ones slide over the bow. You increase your speed, ride on top of the next wave, then down the trough, picking up power as you mount the next one. It's great fun, just like riding a horse, or skiing, or flying. All those things are very much alike. You don't fear the water, and the waves are challenging. You find it thrilling. Now and then you look at the sky, then get your bearing on the island about a mile and a half away. You can't go any faster, not in these waters. You have to take it slow and easy, figuring each group of waves as they come, slowly edging towards the island. This book is so fucking sexual. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot believe it. He's horny for the lake and the boat. (laughs) Horny for the lake and the boat, yes. (laughs) Tom is soaked. The end. Tom is soaked and looks totally miserable. He is hanging onto the bow line as if his life depended on it. I don't like the look of this, Tom says. I think we're in for a big storm. Look over there. He points west. The mountains are gone, covered by white and gray clouds and mist. The wind is whistling, getting stronger. The temperature has fallen. You look back toward the dock, but you can barely make it out any longer. The shoreline is dim and indistinct. In a matter of minutes, the waves have mounted to four or five feet. A monster wave bashes its way over the port side of the boat, swamping the shallow space that holds the gas can and day packs you and Tom have brought together. You slow the boat down in an attempt to deal with each wave as safely as possible. Unfortunately, the automatic bailing doesn't work too well at this speed. Water sloshes in the Zodiac, tinged with the rainbow colors of the spilling gas and oil. Let's head back, Tom shouts, his voice thin in the midst of rushing wind and the growl of the motor. Your instinct tells you he's right. 
However, you are more than halfway to the island. Perhaps you should continue on ahead and seek shelter there. If you decide to turn around and go back to the dock, turn to page 82. If you decide to go on, turn to page 33. Go on? Mm-hmm. Why would you not? Also, we're... we pull out our gun and tell them, we've come too far. Yeah, we're the captain on this boat. Okay. Let's go freeze to death on this island. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hang on. We're more than halfway there, you call to Tom above the sound of the motor and wind. We'll just light a fire yeah. right here on the boat <laughs> with the gas. We can eat the dog if we get hungry. Eat Tom if you get hungry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad, really. Just think of the stories we can tell back at school. You know, heroes of the lake, stuff like that. As much as you try and reassure Tom, you yourself are worried. The water is rough. But you should make it, you convince yourself. Just start bailing, Tom. Keep your mind off of it. Tom holds on to Melvin, the two of them staring with uncertainty on their faces. A vicious gust of wind and water smacks you in the face. Makes you really angry. But then, how can you get angry at the lake? Smack. It happens again. Okay, that does it, you shout to the wind and waves. Apparently we're angry at the lake now. (laughs) Yep. Grasping the handle of the motor, you apply more power, feeling the red zodiac chew into the black water. A foam of white curls past the bow, then drops off, leaving behind a barely discernible path in the water. Fog drifts by, swallowing you in its grip. Turn back, Tom shouts, hiding from the full force of the waves by crouching next to Melvin on the floor of the boat. It's too late. Hold on, you reply, trying to steady the boat. The fog shifts a little, and you realize that you are near the south end of the island, way off course. What are you going to do? Land where we land, I guess. As you get closer, to your astonishment, you make out a huge paddle wheeler tied to a dock protruding from the rocky shoreline of Providence Island. What in the world is that? Tom shouts. Instinctively, you head the Zodiac toward the shore, pulling up alongside the huge steamer. Painted on the hull, you read the name Ticonderoga. Good gosh, do you see what I see, you ask Tom, pointing at the name of the steamer. Not so sure, he replies. Look over there. Together you stare at the figures on the dock and the large carrier loaded with baggage and supplies which is moving up a path that leads towards a huge white hotel. You must be seeing things, you say, shocked to your very core. You recall pictures you had seen on the island from the 1800s. There used to be a hotel on the southern end. Steamers made the 120-mile trip up north to the Richelieu River and Canada. Providence Island was a stopover point for passengers, and the hotel was famous throughout the region. Dancing, great food, and boating on the lake attracted visitors until one day when the hotel mysteriously burned down in a blaze that could be seen for miles around. Mm. This is really weird, Tom says. You nod in agreement. Planning to burn that hotel down. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you two! A sailor in a blue uniform shouts at you and Tom. Want a job? (laughs) You mean us, you reply? Don't mean your dog. That is, unless it's a talking dog. Of course I mean you. We're shorthanded and we need to add to our crew. Can't get good help these days. You know how it is, you young people. Well, we don't raise them the way they used to, he says, blustering on and on. What kind of work, you ask curiously. Then it dawns on you. Why doesn't he say anything about the strange boat you and Tom are in? Yeah. If you really are in the past, and this is not part of some joke or film production, then he would have noticed your modern boat by now. Well, whatever's responsible for this turn of events, perhaps it causes him to see everything as it is in his own time period. Oh Maybe. my god. 
you don't fucking sub-explain what you think. (laughs) That's annoying. Harry Montgomery does. Sorry. Maybe he sees you and Tom dressed in 19th century clothing and your boat as a wooden skiff. Yeah. We could use a hand with mostly everything on the boat. Everything short of being captain, that is. You can handle lines, carry luggage, stand watch, even be the wiper in the engine room. Yeah. As opposed to the bathroom. (laughs) It's good fun. Doesn't pay much, but you'll get a lot of experience. He then smiles at the two of you, waiting for your reply. Which you would think would be a choice, but it's not. (laughs) Nope. How much is not much, you ask? (laughs) Pushy youngster, aren't you? The captain says. Oh, apparently it's the captain. The captain says, grinning at the two of you. Well, I'm a good judge of character and a generous, fair man by nature. Let's say, oh, $2. He smiles, waiting for your reply. A week. Only $2 an hour? Tom says in disbelief. Starting wages at a fast food place is five fifty for kitchen help with no experience. An hour, the captain balks. Are you mad? I'm talking $2 a week. And all you can eat, of course. $2 an hour. Well, I've never heard of such foolishness. Pulls out a pipe, stuffs it full of tobacco, and lights it. You have no idea what is going on, much less how you got here. You and Tom look at each other blankly, unable to come up with even a theory as to how you wound up back in time, despite all the theories you fucking had about how this guy perceives you. (laughs) (laughs) However strange as it might seem, this could be an interesting opportunity, you think. You were looking for some adventure. The more you think about it, though, the more you wonder if maybe you should slip away and try and figure out a way back home to the present before you get stuck in this time warp. If you decide to take the job, turn to page 75. If you decide to find your way back, turn to page 54. Those are the only options? Yep. I wanted to go to the Indian burial ground. Well, that's why maybe we should not take this job and continue on and see what happens. Um... Yeah. So you guys are just skipping the job. Yeah. Yeah. Now, more time travel, please. Yeah. I like how we're not consulting Tom at all. We're just, he's going to do what we we're, tell him. We're, yeah. we're in it for the fun. Tom doesn't get seen. Crap. Okay, so we're going to try and find our way back on page 54. We need to find our way back, you tell Tom. My dad always says caution is the better part of valor. This is the first time you're following those that thought process. <laughs> yep. My dad always says caution is the better part of valor, which means don't stick your neck out if you don't have to. We're stuck in some kind of weird time loop. There's no sense in our working on a steamer. It's not going to get us any closer to home. You scan the shoreline for some sign of a familiar path. The rocks are the same, but the place looks better kept. Not at all like the wild island you know. Well, it's about time you came to your senses, Tom says. Let's get out of here. You lead the way. Melvin bounces up, sniffing the air and ready for anything. Smell of breakfast from the hotel has made its way over to you. It suddenly dawns on you how hungry you are. It feels like breakfast was ages ago. However, now is not the time for a coffee break, you realize. You didn't bring any snacks. Every, all the times are time for a coffee break. Yeah. Follow me, you announce, leading Tom and Melvin to shore. Oh, so we parked the boat. Okay. Hey, you two. Where are you going? We need you aboard the Ticonderoga, the captain shouts, still puffing out smoke from his stubby pipe. We told you no, we don't work for you. I don't think we told him anything. We just, <laughs> just, just bounced. Yeah, we're yeah. just like, yeah. Chances like this don't come your way too often, you know. Ignoring him, three of you duck into the trees. 
Soon you find yourself on a beautifully manicured path leading to the heart of the island. Several people pass you in horse-drawn carriages, but they take no notice of you. It's really strange seeing this mixture of past and present. You're still not sure what to make of all of it. The captain dies of cancer. <laughs> you, Tom, and Melvin stroll leisurely down the broad path, taking everything in, giving in to the summer weather and the smell of pines and cedar. Near the middle of the island, you come across a tennis court and a croquet lawn where women in long dresses and men wearing white flannel pants and long sleeve shirts are playing. They don't seem to notice you. As a matter of fact, when you look at Tom, you hardly notice him either. That's just normal. <laughs> you are surprised to see only an outline, not much more than a shadow walking along the path. Uh-oh. Melvin, too, is just a yellowish blur. Oh, not Melvin. Looking down at your hands, you see a silvery glow, but no real human form. Whoa, what's happening? You ask as panic sets in. Where are you? Tom shouts, looking around for you. Where'd you go? I'm right here, don't worry. Something's happened to us, but I'm not sure what. I don't know why I used that tonality at all. <laughs> but I did, so suck it. But I did. <laughs> Suddenly, you hear a familiar sound from overhead. The roar of the afternoon commuter jet going from New York to Burlington, Vermont. Oh, weird. As the jet pierces the otherwise hushed island calm, you begin to see Tom and Melvin once again as they slowly fade back into view. Looking around, you realize that the tennis courts and croquet lawns have vanished. You are back in the present, surrounded by the same familiar-looking trees you remember on Providence Island. You look at Tom. The two of you shrug your shoulders. Whatever. It was in the fog. Some weird time fog. You have no explanation for what has happened. But at this point, you no longer care. You're all okay. Right now, all you want to do is go back home. You've had enough adventure for one day. The end. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So he really wants us to work on that boat. You've had enough adventure. Just wandering around. Riding a boat across the lake. Talking to a guy. And then not taking a job. <laughs> Well, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what was our option before not taking the job or taking the job? Was going was going back? Yeah, oh, turning back, to, turning the boat back to the house. That seems like a good one. Yeah. All right. Listen to Tom's whiny, whiny bitch self in the back, telling us to turn the boat around. We're gonna turn around and go back to the dock on page eighty-two. I'm with you, you say to Tom, deciding to turn around and head back. You know that it's okay to give up. Your dad is always stressed that there is no shame in turning back, whether it be on a lake, a mountain, anywhere. Know your limits, he has always said. Our dad has a lot of fucking sayings. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Tom mutters something in reply, but you can't hear him. He grips the bow line. Like you, he is soaked to the skin. The waves are relentless, and it's getting cold fast. Melvin looks at you with the gaze he reserves for food begging. Okay, here we go, you say, trying to convince yourself as much as Tom. Slowly, you push the handle of the engine to starboard, initiating a big turn in the rough waves and swells. The bow comes around, then hesitates for a moment as the wind catches it and tries to push it back. You increase power, feeling the bow banging against the waves. The Zodiac bucks, but makes headway in its long turn. For a moment, you are facing right into the teeth of the wind which has shifted and is now coming from due south. The clouds have lowered. You can no longer make out the island or the shore. Uh-oh. 
How's it coming? Tom shouts, his voice barely audible against the wind. Despite the fact that there is a good four inches of lake water in the bottom of the Zodiac, he has taken refuge from the waves there, sharing the space with Melvin, who seems less than pleased. No problem. We're heading back. Hang in there, you advise, despite your own fear. The combination of wind, fog, and rain have all begun to distort your sense of direction. You're having a difficult time. Mm -hmm. The Zodiac is turning in a slow and sloppy arc. The wind increases. You estimate its gusts at 40 knots or more. Where am I? You ask yourself. Just follow the waves, dude. Okay, calm down. Don't worry. The clouds will lift. Just stay calm. What's wrong? Tom asks. Oh, nothing. I was just saying that I think we should put on our life vests, okay? <laughs> I've already got mine on. We're lost, aren't we? Well, not really. I mean, we're on the lake. We can't be too far from land. It's not like we're out in the ocean. I knew I shouldn't have come. Why do I let you talk me into things? You're a dumbass. Tom, calm down. We're not in trouble. We're going to be all right. Just trust me. It is at that precise moment that the motor coughs, kicks, sputters, and dies. Good thing we brought the oars. Start rowing, Tom. Suddenly you are broadsided by three huge waves. Mm -hmm. You struggle into your life vest and turn your attention to the motor. No luck. You try all the standard procedures. You check the fuel, reset the fuel line, pull the start cord, mess with the adjustments and settings. Nothing. Not even a kick. The two paddles you keep in the boat are of little help. The waves continue to pound, moving you along. We'll be killed, Tom shouts. We'll be all right, you answer nervously. You judge that the Zodiac is headed towards the gut, a narrow channel between the island and the mainland. The gut is famous for rough waves. You remember a powerboat several summers ago that lost its engine in a similar storm and was driven right through the gut, out to the center of the lake. You and your dad stood by helplessly watching the boat and its frantic crew as it was swept along by the current. The Coast Guard eventually picked them up and towed the boat back in to safety. That was in the summer, and there weren't any clouds or fogs around to complicate navigation. You, on the other hand, are lost in fog. And what's worse, it's fall, not summer. The weather is worse, and the lake is practically deserted. Even the Coast Guard has reduced the number of its routine patrols. As best as you can judge, you are now in the gut or close to it. Either way, you're headed for the broad center of the lake. Once there, you'll really be in big trouble. So good job, guys. Yep. The end. Yep. Our parents are never going to know what happened to us. The waves are beginning to get enormous. Without a motor, you are at the mercy of the storm and the lake, which stretches for 125 miles. A radical thought now crosses your mind. Maybe you should have picked up skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, just maybe, you would be better off abandoning ship and swimming for shore. We're in the middle of the fucking lake. Can't be far. You just might stand a better chance of surviving than if you remained on board the Zodiac, drifting at the mercy of the waves. No doubt about it, it's a risky plan. But if you are going to swim, you'd better start now. Once you reach the broad center of the lake, swimming will be futile. If you decide to swim for the island, turn to page 23. If you decide to stay in the Zodiac, turn to page 93. Stay in the boat? Yeah, we're staying in the boat. Okay. Swimming's a stupid idea. <laughs> I'm going to tie with Tom and the dog in the boat. Sounds like a country song. <laughs> Hang on, Tom. We're in for a rough ride, you say. You see his wet face looking up at you. 
a mixture of hope and fear written across it. You feel sorry and a little guilty that you got him into this mess in the first place. You've got to stay calm and try and convince yourself. All right, so what if you're stranded on a desert lake in a small boat with no motor? Just because you're trapped in a huge storm with no visibility and no one that knows you're out here isn't cause for alarm. Okay, so your case won't hold up in court. That's no reason to panic. <laughs> Maybe Tom told someone where you were going. He uh, seems responsible. He seems kind of dumb. <laughs> <laughs> he just went, yeah, fine, I'll go with you. There's some consolation. If you're going to be trapped in a storm, the Zodiac is the best of all possible boats. It won't sink. You've also got good old Melvin with you. Who knows? He may come in handy. <laughs> <laughs> That's another reason I didn't want to swim. Right. What do we do now? Tom asked dejectedly. Well, I figure we're in the gut by now. We might as well hang on and let the lake take us where it wants to. He flashed Tom a forced smile, trying to reassure him. That's like when I was a child and we used to go on these hikes and we'd just end up like miles from the house. <laughs> I should have died. <laughs> like... Not like we have much choice, do we? Tom says to you with a look of disgust. Shut up, Tom. This friendship is over. (laughs) Suddenly, a monster wave engulfs the boat. Before you have time to think or react, the Zodiac washes up on some huge slabs of rock. You hear it tear as the bottom of the Zodiac drags along the bottom and rips open. Uh Uh-oh. There goes our unsinkable boat. We made it! We made it! You shout, scrambling out of the wounded boat and onto the shore. You do your best to try and drag the boat up onto the rocks and out of the water. But the task, even with Tom, is difficult. You hear another whooshing sound as the starboard compartment is ripped open by the rocky shore. Grab the packs, you shout. Good old Melvin, you notice, has the straps of one of the backpacks in his mouth. He scrambles onto the rocks, but the bound is up on the bank. A row of tall pine trees forms a backdrop. Together they look like a fortress, with the clouds seeming to form a gray roof above them. Looking at the semi-deflated zodiac now awash on the shore. Our dad's going to be pissed. Hmm? <laughs> You wonder what you're going to say to your father to explain this. Yeah, they're never leaving us alone again. Well, let's get some shelter. Turn around to talk with Tom, but he's gone. Thank God you said... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Tom, where are you? Melvin, go find Tom, will you? But Melvin, you realize, isn't anywhere to be found either. What the frick? Okay, you two, you want to play games? We'll play games. Let's get dry first, say loudly. No one answers you. The fog and the trees soak up the sound of your voice. Nothing comes back. Cold and wet, you realize your body is shaking. You move across the slippery rocks, climbing up the sandy embankment toward the line of trees. An oppressive quiet surrounds you, deadening your brain and your thoughts. Gosh, I'm beat. Really beat, you say. I don't blame you, an unfamiliar voice answers with a menacing tone. It seems to be coming from over by the trees. You freeze in your steps, your right hand gripping the wet branch of a birch tree for support. You'd better come this way, the voice says. This time it sounds thinner and farther away. The rough water is behind you, the forest in front. You are alone now. Time seems to hang in the balance, suspended by the tension of your indecision. Time is running out, the voice warns you. It seems to come from higher in the air now, as if it were all around you. Slowly, you remove your grip from the birch branch and move forward. You want to scream to Tom and Melvin for help, but you are also strangely drawn by the voice. Follow me, the voice calls to you. As tempted as you are to follow, caution, on the other hand, dictates that you break away and head for the woods. 
If you follow the voice, turn to 106. If you break away, turn to 34. I have no clue I've, I've what always, the fuck's going on. I've always been a big fan of following strangers. Agreed. So Follow that voice. Although we should ask if they have candy first. Right. I mean, we know there's not candy the other way, so we might as well hope for candy. Yeah. Cautiously, you move forward, painfully aware that each step brings you closer and closer to the unknown. Somehow, you know instinctively that your feet are actually carrying you forward into another dimension of time and space. Mm. Instinctively, you just know that. We just know that. Fear and curiosity struggle within you as the voice leads the way. Do not be afraid. We will not hurt you. This is some more R.A. Montgomery hippy-dippy bullshit, the voice says, (laughs) floating on the wind. There is a quality to it that now begins to soothe you, eroding your fear. You walk through the pine forest easily, noticing that the branches don't touch you, and the damp rain and fog no longer affect you. Everything feels dreamlike, and you are comforted by a growing sense of light and warmth. Not much longer. Keep walking, the voice encourages. Sweet, you're dying in the bottom of that boat. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it sounds like. (laughs) Looking around you, you realize you are no longer on Providence Island. Did I go to the wrong place? You weren't supposed to be there anyway. No, we were, like, washed up on a bank. They didn't state which one. 29, yeah. All right. Looking around you, you realize you are no longer on Providence Island. The pines are gone, as are the birches. These trees are different. They bulge out horizontally, balloon-like and enormous. They must be over 200 feet tall. Their leaves are larger than your hand, the color green more intense than any you've seen. Above the trees, the sky is completely clear. Sunlight falls gently through the branches and the leaves. It is now warm and summer-like. You shed your wet windbreaker and continue to move forward, walking what appears to be a carpet of flowers. What the absolute fuck? <laughs> We're having a you trip. guys get at me in here? <laughs> We're having a walkabout. Yeah. The voice slowly drops from the trees, settles to the ground, and begins to materialize in front of you. At first, it's just a golden light, not unlike a 4th of July sparkler. Then it begins to take on a more definite shape. Tinkerbell? More otherworldly than human. Mm. From the center of the mass, the light intensifies, changing from golden to silver to a whitish hue. For a moment, you feel tense. Part of you wishes to turn back and escape. Don't be afraid, the voice says, comforting you. This is just the beginning. Oh, God, no, please, no. (laughs) Your heart is beating fast, you realize, but you steel yourself to be calm as you continue to experience this unknown. Where's my dog and pseudo-friend? You are brave, the voice reassures you. The shining form of light now condenses, resting before you upon a tuft of grass. In the distance, you hear a mournful howl. Melvin? You ask as the howl repeats itself. Keep focused, the figure guides you. Clear your mind. Something tugs at you to follow the sound of Melvin's howl and break away from the spell. You make an attempt, finding it difficult to return, yet not impossible. You have the feeling you could free yourself if you wanted to. However, there is also a strong part of you that wants to discover what is in store for you. The sound of Melvin's howl grows fainter. If you are going to retreat, you'll have to do it now. If you decide to break away, turn to page 78. If you stay where you are, turn to page 57. Do we want to be assholes and stay? They both have merits. They do both have merits. Mm. 
Yeah, I kind of want to get alien abducted and anal probed. That sounds like a good plan. Mm-hmm. Sorry, dog. Giving up on life. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you give in to your feelings and stay where you are, deciding out of curiosity to go along for the ride. Melvin's mournful bark drifts farther and farther away. And Tom has a new dog. Yep. <laughs> becoming more and more indistinct as the memory passes. The silvery voice changes its tone once again. Now it is music, entirely new to your ears. It feeds a hunger inside you, calming you. So this is what death metal sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> your attention turns to the light figure. Before your eyes, the figure grows until it is your size. It now has golden hair, and its face is the color of copper, with a luster that reflects the sun. You gaze within its eyes, which seem to radiate a warmth and depth of understanding that surrounds you with a feeling of well-being. You have made some wise choices. I congratulate you from all of us here in the future, the figure says calmly. What do you mean, the future? You ask. Who are you? What do you want with me? A growing sense of fear rises within you. You are just an emotional wreck. Yeah, seriously. Hesitantly, you take two steps back. The figure hovers above the ground, smiling. The smile seems to grow in intensity, spreading like a ray of light. Stop doing that! Don't like that! You have joined your future time, the figure says. Humans are outside the true realm of time. Whether they know it or not, they spend their lives waiting to get back to the real time. Fuck you, Ari Montgomery. <laughs> The figure smiles once again, enveloping you in its light. Something inside you begins to question the intentions of this figure. I'm just now mm -hmm. doing that. You grow skeptical. Sounds like you know quite a lot about what we want and what we need. On whose authority do you speak anyway? And what we got to, got to, got to have. <laughs> the figure is taken aback by your tone. <laughs> Do not question the experience, it says, trying to recapture your devotion once again. Remember, you made the decision to come. You stepped outside your circle of life. We didn't take you. We merely guided you, helping you to make the right choice over the wrong one. Talk of right and wrong begins to worry you. Your parents taught you to never speak in absolutes. You are beginning to distrust the whole situation. Where am I, you demand? You hear Melvin's bark once more in the distance. It pulls at you, calling you back. You are here with us, the figure replies. Remember, things are not always what they may appear to be. You and I now occupy the same space at the same time. That's dirty. <laughs> you are the present. We are both the future and the past. The figure shifts its position, changing its form into a rainbow. Melvin's bark grows louder. I must be dreaming, you say, shaking your head. Either that or I'm on a movie set. For fuck's sake. I swallowed too much lake water. Yeah, that's what happened. You must not question the experience. Somebody roofied the lake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have been given a rare chance. You have been given the opportunity to see the future. Time can be a difficult concept to grasp. That understanding will come with age. You shall see. Perhaps you are not ready yet. Come, I will guide you back to that which you know. Follow me. Oh, thank God. Thank you for wasting my time. <laughs> the light takes a human form again. It rises up over the forest, leaving a trail. You follow as if in a trance. 
Gone now is your hostility, your doubts, and fatigue. You feel an exhilaration inside, the way you do after completing a long run or winning a championship game. The light begins to fade, and its voice, once calm and soothing, is now silent. You are on familiar ground once again. Your parents' summer house looms ahead of you through the pine and cedar trees. For a moment, you look back, trying to find the light and recapture its comfort, but it is gone. Regret fills your heart. You just can't fucking decide how you feel. <laughs> you were given an opportunity, and you let it slip away. Which I don't think you actually had a choice. Yeah, we didn't have a choice. It, yeah. it decided for us. With a heavy heart, you run for the house. The lights are on in the living room, and the smell of wood smoke coming from the fireplace hangs in the air. Son of a bitch. Tom! Melvin, it's me! I'm back! Thanks for looking for me, guys! You won't believe where I've been! You begin to explain, but then stop yourself. Perhaps it's best not to speak about it until you've had some time to think this experience over. The end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're welcome for that. Done. <laughs> Done. Done with Choose Your Own Adventure. Done. <laughs> Quitting. Quitting. I'm going home. Never coming back here again. So we basically ended up in the Nexus and then got out of the Nexus at the end of that. I guess. <laughs> now we're going to think about it for the rest of our lives. It feels like there was an awful lot of like, let's go on an adventure and then you reach the adventure and it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe the ultimate thing was to go on the steamer was boat. Work on the boat. And make $2 a week. <laughs> Yeah. But that sounds... Mm. Stuck in the past. Yeah, that sounds stupid, too. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's time to have a book. I already know how I feel about it. Yeah. I could, yeah. yeah. That one was eh for me. I, I, I could leave it. Yeah. Yep. I would. So, uh, fuck that book. <laughs> if you'd like to check out more books by CYOA.com, no. If you'd like to check out more books by Incredible... No. If you'd like to check out more books by somebody, go to CYOA.com. You like to check out more stuff by somebody else? Go to incrediblydaring.com. I'm somebody. <laughs> I'm Jason. I'm Connie. The end. <laughs>